let me give you a, a, a little bit of a scenario, just kind of be thinking. I like to attach it to real situations. Um, like Kyle said, this conference is going to be more practical um, in application of the biblical counseling philosophies and so forth. Um, last night's message, I think, was, was more helpful for the person first being exposed to biblical counseling. Uh, this morning's session is going to be more helpful for those who are already doing uh, counseling or who are wanting to do that. And I think it'll be helpful for those just kind of interested, like, what are some of the things that we would do? So helpful, though, to give a short case study to kind of make you think of a real person. All these case studies are real people. I've changed the names. If your name is Sally, I apologize. That's the name that popped in my mind. I'm not saying that, that Sally's have lots of problems, but they probably do, but I'm just saying. <clears throat> so how, Sally heard that you do some counseling. And so I asked if you could meet with her. She's a 40-year-old mother with six kids experiencing severe anxiety, having panic attacks. She's also struggling with intimacy with her husband, having several minor health issues. Okay, now what? Maybe she's coming to your house, sitting across the dining table from you, and she kind of plops this out. This is my prop. Anybody know what this is? It's supposed to be a tangled piece of yarn. I mean, it is very tangled. I don't even know what. I don't even know where the end is. I can't even find the end. <clears throat> uh, so what we're going to do uh, in our time together this morning is help you have some understanding of the things that you want to accomplish in your sessions so that you can help others untangle their, their ball of yarn, the messes of life. And so that's really what, what I think counseling is, is somebody, a brother and sister in Christ, is, is coming to you and saying, hey, I've got this tangled ball of yarn. And I've been trying to like untangle it, but I haven't, I haven't had much success. Can you help me untangle it? And you're just trying to find, okay, where's one thread that we can sort of pull on? And you know, you start there. If you look at the whole tangled mess, then you're going to be like, I don't want to touch that with the 10-foot pole. But if you just take one thread at a time, then you're going to get somewhere. And so these are called the eight eyes. It's a counseling model derived from Earlier, guys, I got much of this from Wayne Mack, one of my former professors, but I think he got it from somebody else, so I don't really know who to give it credit for. Uh, but I do believe as, you, as we go through it, you'll see that it's derived from Scripture, and I think that this is going to be helpful. <clears throat> so let's get started. Um, one of the first things you want to do, number one, is, is involvement, gain involvement. This is something you want to do every session, every time you meet, but the first session is going to be the most important for this. Definition, I think you have this in your notes, is build a relationship that maximizes the potential for change. Right? You're, you're seeking to build a relationship that maximizes the potential for change. Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. But you've got to be a friend first. Verse 9, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Yeah, that's what you're trying to, to do. John 13, 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Then 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, Paul's example, he says, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being effectually desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. That's our goal. That's our aim with every person that we meet with. 
And this is whether it's formal or informal. So I keep saying formal and informal. When I say formal counseling, in my mind, what I mean by that is I'm giving them homework assignments. I'm sitting down with a folder. I'm having them fill out forms that we'll talk about here in a second. To me, that's formal counseling. Informal is meeting at a coffee shop and one brother or sister just sharing their issues and you're just kind of coming alongside and praying for them, encouraging them and giving them some advice when they're ready and willing to receive it. So that's kind of my distinction. Um, <clears throat> but you want to have a genuine interest and compassion. Matthew 9, 36, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Colossians 3, 13 says, put on then as God's holy ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Philippians 1, 8 for God is my witness, Paul says, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Philippians 2, 1 through 3, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection of sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. The people that are meeting with you, they're, they're trying to figure this out. Can I trust you? Do you really care about me? Can you actually help me? Right? Those are the questions that they're, that they're asking, and you, and you want to be that, that person for them to the glory of Lord. You want to bear their burden, Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on your own self, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And I think he's talking about uh, that <clears throat> John 13 passage. Love one another. Okay, not that you need to feel the full weight uh, equally the same as them, right? I mean, you're, you're not them, so it's not going to be the same thing for you. I'm thankful for that. I might meet with 10 people a week sometimes, all formal counseling with very serious issues. I can't handle all of that if, I, if, if each one of their problems was mine like it was my own. But what we're getting at is you want some skin in the game. Um, their problem is, is, is something that you're owning. It has to be that to some degree. And, and if it is something that you own, you're trying to get rid of it you know, as quick as, as righteously possible because you care and, and you're feeling the weight of it. Uh, you want to show respect. First Peter 2.17 says, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. That sounds obvious. It sounds like something that we would have no problem doing, but, but some of the situations that you come across, you know, you might be angry at them and disgusted with them. <clears throat> or you might be like, ah, I really didn't want to hear all that. You know, they kind of put their ball of yarn out there and it's, and it's pretty gross. And you feel like, you know, you need a bath afterwards. But... We need to show respect to them. They're a person created in the image of God, and we're there, there to help. Uh, building involvement requires a genuineness, uh, being honest with them. Confidentiality, that, that's huge. If you're not confidential with that person, and they think that you're a talker, guess what? Your, your ministry is going to be very short-lived. Proverbs 25.9 says, Argue your case with your neighbor himself, and do not reveal another's secret lest he who hears you bring shame upon you and your ill repute have no end. Pray with and for the counselee. We talked some about that last night. 
you as the, the counselor, you want to be one who is, you know, at least in general, one who is exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, meaning that you are controlled by the Spirit. And so because you're controlled by the Spirit, you're producing the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Uh, that's what you want to see yourself uh, producing. Uh, some caution here as you do gain involvement. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.12, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he falls. Uh, particularly if you are a pastor meeting with a lady. Uh, some pastors will have the door open or have a window in their door. That's fine if you want to do that. For me, my ministry, I've always had my wife sitting with me if I'm going to counsel a lady. And the reason why I think that that is even more important, I mean, you don't need to, me to tell you what the headlines are saying. But if you're sitting there and you're gaining involvement with the person, you're showing compassion and kindness, you're helping this person with their problem, guess what, if, it, if she has a husband, <clears throat> if she's meeting with you and he's not willing to come, he's not doing those things in general. And so even with Dana sitting with me, there have been times where we've both got the willies. You know, we've both got this uncomfortable feeling that this gal is starting to be very appreciative of the interest that I am pouring into her, right? And so it's just helpful to have Dana there. She's seeing it, and we can be cautious together. So you want to kind of be careful about that, and as much as possible, if things you know, if Dana's there and things, as, as I am showing compassion and kindness and listening to her problems and trying to help her untangle her ball of yarn, when it gets emotional, I'm not giving her a hug. Dana's giving her a hug. Dana's giving her the box of tissues. And then if she wants to meet with someone outside of that, then she's going to meet with Dana or, or, or somebody else. And so I can keep it a little bit, I, you know, just be careful there. <clears throat> but all of this gaining, gaining involvement, it takes time. It's not anything erudite. It's not anything really impressive. People will ask me about counseling and they want to get involved with it and, and they think that there's you know, something that they need to do to, to kind of you know, be intelligent in it or whatever. And, and yeah, we want to understand the word well, but a lot of it is just rolling up your sleeves, being willing to get in the muck of other people's lives and just being willing to help and not afraid to, to just go, you know what, this is a big ball of, of yarn, it's all tangled. I have no idea what to do here, but let's just take one strand. Is there one thing that I can do to help you? I was helping out a guy at the seminary there in Louisville with a, with a counseling practicum class, they called it, where they practiced counseling each other on real issues, but just not heavy, deep issues. And so the one guy that I was observing and critiquing, <clears throat> he's counseling. And as he was counseling this person, he kept saying over and over again, oh, uh -huh, yeah, great. Then the person would talk a little bit more, and he'd say, oh, yeah, mm -hmm, great. And he was looking at his notes, right? He was trying to think about what he was saying. Uh, but then the counselee mentioned that his elderly, elderly father had passed away a few months ago, and the counselee was having a very difficult time with it. Guess what the counselor in training said? Oh, um, um, great. You know, and, uh, you know, it was a great teaching moment for all of us to laugh at him and say, this is what you did. And every, all the other people that were observing with me, they were like, yeah, we saw that, you know, like, you know, if you do that with the counselee, do they, are they going to think that you care? I mean, we've all been there, right? But it is hard work to listen. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll listen to people six hours in a day, and, you know, I've got to be engaged and 
bear their burden, right? And it's kind of hard to do that over and over again, but that's what you got to do. It's not rocket science. Biblical counseling, coming alongside another person, whether it's formal, informal, not, not rocket science, love people. Be curious about their lives, about what makes them tick, and so on and so forth. Ask a ton of questions. My wife is great at, at asking a ton of questions. I always think of Kirsten Sheehy. She goes to church here. She's great at asking a ton of questions. Learn from people who are asking a ton of questions and, and just pray and ask the Spirit to help you be curious about people. Sally needed to know that we cared. Right? She needed to trust us if she was going to tell us uh, those things that were going on in her life that were less than flattering. And we needed to hear those things, but they're not going to tell you those things that are less than flattering unless they know that you're confidential and that you care. Things that are less than flattering with her, like disrespecting her husband. She's not going to tell you that uh, unless she knows that you care and that you're confidential and that you're someone who can help. The result of my conviction here is that I, I counsel an hour and a half to two hours, maybe longer, with a person. Not, not, not 50 minutes, not 45 minutes. <clears throat> which is what some people would advocate. This is just my conviction based on my need to love them. It's exhausting, but I'm building a relationship with every single person that I counsel. I'm seeking to be their brother, their sister, or not their sister in Christ. I'm seeking to be their brother with my brother or my sister. And I'm seeking to be friends. I'm not up here. They're down here. I'm seeking to build a friendship. I'm committed for the long haul with them, even if they end up leaving the church. At least I try to. Practically, this starts in session one when I review their what's called a PDI, personal data inventory form. Uh, you can go to 180 Ministries. That's just spelled out, 180ministries.org, and there'll be a PDI that you could just get from that. That's Stuart Scott's website. I send that to them before we start, before we even meet one time so I can have a chance to read it, highlight it, <clears throat> in highlight areas that we're going to discuss further. So it kind of gives me a lead into what some of the main problems are, and I'll kind of know like what to expect a little bit so that I'm not just caught off, you know, caught flat-footed. And uh, I'll discuss that further. I'm going to ask lots of questions from that, particularly what I've highlighted. Typically, this is going to take an hour, the first session, and at least 30 minutes or more, the second session, then probably the third session. Uh, after that, I'm going to spend... Uh, the first 15 minutes of every meeting, catching up with them on non-counseling-related issues. If they're a football fan, I'm going to ask them, hey, did you see that game this week? What would you think? That was, that was pretty neat. Or, or if I know something in their life that's going on, their kids started school for the first time, we'll, we'll talk about that. That's what we're going to talk about. You know, they just got back from a trip. They attended a wedding, you know, whatever it is. The first 15 minutes is, is that sort of thing. Some people don't want to do that. They're like, hey, if I'm going to help somebody, we're just going to get right into it. We're going to get into the Word and, and do that. I prefer to, to, to do the first 15 minutes in sort of small talk, but really getting to know, you know, just getting to know them. And it takes me off of a pedestal. When people meet with me, they don't, they don't think that I'm anything before too long. But what it does is, you know, we're on the same level. We're, we're friends, we're sharing life together, those sort of things. I, I try to stay away in those first, first 15 minutes. I try to stay away from the deep counseling issues. Um, we'll get into that later because I like to read the Word and then pray with them. Um, but sometimes there's no helping it. And they just come in, I'm like, hey, how, how was your week? What have you been up to? And then they just, you know, it's, this is what my husband did. This is what my wife did. This is what my kids are doing. Uh, when that happens, I just say, 
Oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. <clears throat> let's go ahead, before we get into that, let's get into it. But let's just go ahead and read the word. Let's fixate our minds on Christ. And then let's pray. And then we'll get to all those questions because I want to hear that. The reason why I want to read the word and pray, and like I did last night, I want to read something that exalts Jesus Christ because it is really easy to become man-centered in counseling or what I would say problem-centered. But as Colossians 1, 15 through 20 says, Everything was created through Christ and for Christ, right? He is the end. He is the telos. He is the goal of why we exist. You exist to bring Christ glory. That's it, period. And so our counseling session ought to center on him. And so if we start with that, at least we've done that. We've kind of caged the discussion, framed the discussion some, somewhat. So that's why I want to do that. So we're going to, we're going to read the word, exalt Christ, pray, ask for the Spirit's help, and then we're going to get into their issues. Uh, but all this, building involvement is so important. You know, Theodore the- Roosevelt, he didn't know he was being biblical, I don't think, but he was right when he said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And, and that is just a truism, and it is something taken from Scripture. If you don't know how to love people, then you're not going to have success as a counselor. You're just not. You can be a good preacher and not love people. And people will come because they want to hear your erudition. They want to hear how smart you are, and they're going to learn some things from Scripture. You're not going to be a good pastor, because you're going to be a good preacher, maybe. Um, but when it comes to counseling, that's not going to be the case. If you don't know how to love people, you're not going to have success. Uh, if you have counselees coming only one time and then not coming back, this is probably the problem. You're not very good at loving people. It's just the way it is. So you've got to build involvement. Number two, uh, you want to build and you want to inspire them. And so we just call it inspiration. Okay, this is at least the first session, and then we would say as needed in subsequent sessions. But at least it needs to be the first session. The definition of inspiration is this encourage change by giving hope. Okay, and we're trying to work through this alliteration, all starting with eyes. So inspiration is the best that somebody could come up with. There you go. But you want to encourage change by giving them hope. People need hope or they're not going to persevere. Proverbs 10.28 says, The hope of the righteous brings joy. Right? Hope is a Biblical hope is a confident expectation. So the hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. Romans 8.24 says, For in this hope we were saved. Talking about the indicatives. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Jesus Christ, his person, and then the gospel, so we'd say his person and work, are the basis of hope. Uh, let's just look at Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 here for a second. And just think about what it, what it says. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The person who is having panic attack, attacks, anxious over the top, or the person who's just having big-time marital problems, that's a word of hope, isn't it? Christ's person and what he can do is a word of hope. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. Hallelujah. I mean, you can just, you can just see the, the counselee meditating on this and just kind of decompressing. Boy, I need rest for my soul. 
People are motivated to change with hope. Romans 15, 4 says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement in the scriptures, we might have hope. Where is hope found? It's found in the scriptures, right? So it's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's found in his person and in his work. But it's also found in the scriptures that teach about him. All the scriptures pointing to him. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Hope is found in the truth. And the truth is that the situation that you're in is not something that is unique. Other people, um, other Christians throughout the existence of the church have had something similar happen to them and Christ has been faithful. God has been faithful and they found hope in the gospel and in Christ. True hope, you know, 2 Peter 1, 3, His divine power has given to us everything that is needed for life and godliness. I love that passage because it encourages us that, that, that the believer has everything they need for life and godliness. Last year, we talked about this some. When we talked about the sufficiency of the Scriptures for counseling issues, right? The believer has everything they need to live a, a, a godly life. The person who is stuck looking at porn, they have everything they need for life and godliness, right? They can overcome these things. The Romans 6 and Romans 8 passages that Kyle talked about last night, those are hope-filled texts because they promise that a person can change. Uh, that is going to encourage hope. Uh, we want to make sure not to overpromise. Uh, their, situation, their situation might continue to be hard, the hope that we're giving them is that God is going to change them. Philippians 1, 6, I think. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus, right? That's a promise of that when we see Christ, we're going to be perfected, but it's also a promise that at the moment of salvation, everyone is, is, is put on this path towards change. God's not going to leave them where they're at if they're a true believer. They're going to change into Christ-likeness. That is hope-filled. But that doesn't mean that their life is just going to automatically be, be better and they're going to be joyful and whatever the big problem is, you know, maybe their kids are unbelievers or a difficult marriage or whatever the case might be. It doesn't mean that that's going to go away. It just means that God is going to use that for their glory. He's going to use that circumstance for their glory and he's going to use it to make them like Jesus Christ. That's where the hope is. Sometimes with people, you got to help them understand and help them get excited about being conformed to the image of Christ. Somehow, in light of eternity, being conformed to the image of Christ is for their eternal good. But if they don't care, if, if being conformed to the image of Christ doesn't, doesn't float their boat or rock their world, then they're not going to see their hardship as something they should get excited about. So you got to help them get excited about that. And that is part of the process of giving hope. Uh, the hope is that their situation is not something that took God off guard. It's exactly what he wanted for them in order to make them like Christ, to grow them in godliness. It's perfect for them. So Sally, you know, she had been struggling with anxiety most of her life. And she looked at us you know, Dana and I, with just weary eyes, and literally asked this, is there really hope that I can change? Do you think that I could actually change? Her anxiety had just been wearing her out, right? It just been like this little constant drip, and she just didn't think at 35 years of age, 40 years of age, that, that she could change. People are not going to persevere uh, without hope. 
So he shared the gospel. The gospel is hope. The character of God is hope. Uh, the promises of God in Scripture are hope. What he promises, he promises uh, that Christ will return. That is hopeful. He promises that this life is short, eternity is long, and that's hopeful, right? Just think of all the doctrines, all the doctrines that we know that we're taught in church regularly. Those all instill hope. They need to cling to those things. We want to point them out for them and, and help them be these, these jewels, these anchors that they cling to. And so have some hope text handy. I love 2 Peter 1.3. I have it memorized. That's at least one that I'll give them. Philippians 4.19. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, so on and so forth. Uh, so have some hope texts handy. Some of those are there for you. Uh, learn to discern the need at the moment. Uh, sometimes you can kind of set your agenda and kind of get locked into it, but you need to be willing to set that agenda aside and, and, and try to, you know, you got to know the person. Sometimes the person you're meeting with, they need admonished. At other times, you, and so you're kind of pushing them to grow and to stop whining, right? You do it in love, but that's what they need. But then other times you just see, boy, they're beaten down. And the need of the moment is not admonishment, but just to encourage them, look, your, your situation is hard. You're right. It is difficult. But here's who God is. Here's who Christ is. You know, go to Luke 7, how Christ ministered to this sinner from the city. He was probably a prostitute. How he's so gentle and patient. The woman of Samaria, there in John 4, I think it is, how Christ dealt with her. Point them to those texts. And that might be just what you do. You throw out everything else you thought you were going to talk about, and that's what you talk about. Sometimes you just need to be a cheerleader. I think good counselors know how to be good cheerleaders. And you're going to have to do that if you're going to be in this kind of ministry. Third here, uh, take inventory. Right? That is, investigate. Now, you'll do this throughout all of your meetings, but intensely the first two to four sessions, I would say. The definition is this, gather as much information as possible so that you get to know the person and their problem. Proverbs 18, 13 says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Okay, you don't want to just assume like, okay, it's a marriage situation, I've been here before, and you start talking with them and you find out it's completely different. You find out, oh, they've, they're struggling with same-sex attraction or whatever the case might be. Now things are completely different. So Proverbs 18, 13 is good for us. Proverbs 20, verse 5 says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. I'm always asking, hey, this is what I think is going on. Am I understanding this right? And, you know, half the time they'll be like, nope, that, I don't, that's not the case. And then so then I'll kind of tweak it, and we'll have a discussion about it. Again, I'll use that personal data inventory form from 180ministries.org. I have my own, but that's one that you can kind of go to. So I get that PDI first, as I said. I read it through, highlight points of interest, where I want to know more questions. And then I ask about my highlights. There is a problems checklist there. You know, are you having a problem with anxiety, depression? And it'll end up being something that wasn't something that they thought that they had a problem. But I'll ask on each one of those. Okay, you checked... Um, self-control. Why did you check self-control? Why is that an issue? You checked anger. Why did you check anger? What does that look like for you? And I'll, and I'll say, you know, some people, for them, anger is just kind of just, you know, they're, they're, they're miffed, but they don't say anything. They just get quiet for, you know, 30 seconds. And they think that they have an anger problem because of that. Other people, they're kicking the dog. Other people, they're throwing things through windows, throwing things around the house. And they don't think that's a big deal. That's where they live, right? I want to help them go, mm, that's not normal marital conflict when you're throwing bricks through the window or smashing, you know, we had one recently, throwing dishes in the sink and there's, you know, 
you know, smashing. Like, ah, yeah, you got an anger issue. Let's talk about that. You know, I want to find out in this stage, are they a believer? Okay, they're going to probably think that they're a believer, but are they truly a believer? And, you know, the PDI has a little question there that's going to remind me to ask that. And so I'll ask the question, you know, hey, if you had one minute, you know, the membership interview class, church membership interview question. If you had one minute uh, to share the gospel with somebody, you know, what kind of things would you try to highlight? Ask them to share their testimony. And you're going to, you know, you get a, good, a better feeling of where they're at, but then even then you don't want to assume uh, so you want to find out where they're at as far as the gospel. Uh, what is their presenting problem? Again, the PDI is going to ask this, is going to, you know, lead you into that and has just, you know, why are you here question. You know, in their mind, why are they there? It's great to kind of understand. I'm here because, uh, you know, I, I want to have a great marriage or I'm here because, you know, my husband needs fixed or my wife needs fixed. It's all just going to help you understand what you're getting into. And you want to address that presenting problem. I made that mistake early on, you know, like they came in, I realized what they really needed was just the gospel, but they were asking this, and I didn't address the presenting problem. Well, they didn't come back. They didn't think they were gonna, I was going to help them. They, they, they thought that I didn't hear them. So you want to touch on their presenting problem, even if you are convinced that that's not really what they need. Ask effective and appropriate questions. We talked about that. Proverbs 14, 15 says, The backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways. And a good man will be fruit, filled with the fruit of his ways. Common questions you want to ask here in gathering data, you know, what has happened or, or is happening in the person's life? How is the person responding to what is happening or happening in their life? What are the person's thoughts, beliefs, presuppositions about what is happening? What are the person's thoughts about God, about man, about others, about life in general, uh, about their self in relation to what is happening? Draw out what's going on in the person's heart. That Proverbs 25, again, you, you know, you want to do that. If you're going to be a, a good counselor, a good friend, a good brother and sister in Christ, you want to ask questions. That's drawing out what's going on below the surface. Sometimes my brain is fried and I'm not very creative. And so I just ask the question, why? You know, you know if you've had kids, you know that's an annoying question. Uh, hey, we're going to, go to the, going to go to the store here in a few minutes. Why? Why are we going to go to the store? Well... Because we got to get some food. Well, why do we got to get some food? Well, we need to eat. Well, why do we need to eat? Because we're going to die if we don't eat. Oh, well, that, that, oh, now that helped me. So when, it, when all else fails, just ask the question, why? Why did you respond that way? I was angry. Why are you angry? I didn't get what I wanted. Why did you want it? Because I was scared and I thought I needed it. Why were you scared? Now the answer to that question, now we're getting somewhere of what, what they really believe in their heart, what they really want. Now that's a real good question, right? A lot of times people that we're meeting with have, have misplaced hope and misplaced joy. Um, why are you taking those drugs? I thought that it'd bring me joy. Well, for, for a lady, why are you not submitting to your husband? Well, because I think that if I get what I want in my way, then, then that's where my joy is so on and so forth. Examples of that would be, of misplaced joy, would be pleasure, comfort, ease, food, sex, pornography, control, power, approval of man, autonomy, money, success, recognition. Those are all misplaced joy. Uh, it might be their misplaced joy. It might be in their husband loving them. It might be in their wife loving them and respecting them. It might be in their children becoming believers or their, their children respecting them or extended family and getting everybody together or whatever, but their joy is misplaced. Uh, 
Those things are not in and of themselves sinful, but that's not where our ultimate joy lies. Psalm 16, 11 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I say this over and over to the people I meet with. This isn't really where your joy is. They're fixated on this. Their circumstance is changing. And I'm, I'm trying to tell them over and over. They, they don't feel this, right? You don't feel that your joy is in your relationship with Jesus, but it is because the text says it. So you got to act on faith. This is where your joy lies. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. He's not going to disappoint. He's not telling you something. He's not telling you lies. You feel that your joy is in getting out from underneath this horrible circumstance. The scriptures never tell you your joy is in your circumstances being favorable. Your joy is when the sun is out and there's no clouds. It doesn't tell you that. It says your joy is in his right hand. First uh, Peter 1 9, I think it is, says that, or Colossians 1 9. Which one is it here? Well, let's just look at it. And I love I love this text. 1 Peter 1.8, talking of Jesus. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Talking about these believers who have been persecuted. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So where is joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory to be found? In your relationship with Jesus Christ. These believers were experiencing some kind of persecution. And Peter doesn't say your joy is in getting out from underneath that persecution. He doesn't even talk about that at all. He says, as you're in it, Here's where your joy is. And in fact, it's not just in that persecution, it's everywhere. And counselees need to, need to hear that. An excellent resource for heart questions is Seeing with New Eyes by David Pallison, chapter 7. He calls them x-ray questions. Uh, you want to pay attention to nonverbal data, facial expressions, body language, so on and so forth, how they're saying things, whether they have an attitude, and so forth. You want to hear from other parties involved, if that is appropriate. Proverbs 18.15 says, The one who states his case seems right until the other comes and examines him. Use homework to gather data. Um, Sally was having these severe panic attacks, wasn't sleeping well, and so on and so forth. And I had overlooked the fact that she was a regular smoker. Well, nicotine, nicotine can significantly affect a person's sleep, come to find out. And a lack of sleep can significantly impact a person's ability to handle stress. Okay, I missed that. If I would have been... Paying more attention, that would have helped. Again, to gather this information just takes gobs of time, gobs of energy. Uh, but how can I speak into Sally's life if I don't know her well? Okay, look at that ball of yarn. Just start working one thread at a time. Uh, just a, a little note here, you're not a private investigator. And they aren't an ISIS operative. And so you're asking all these questions. Uh, you need to sometimes say, the reason why I'm asking all these questions is because I'm trying to get to know you better. I'm trying to love you well. And if I don't know you, I can't really help you. That's why this interrogation process, right? Again, for me, this works its way out by spending two to three hours uh, doing this. Okay, number four here, interpretation. Typically, um, four sessions or so. Uh, typically, I start this the fourth session or after. Definition here is analyze the, the gathered information and discern the main problem in light of Scripture, then convincingly explain your analysis to the counselee. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He'll make your, straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. Okay, you want to come to the Scripture and help and help them understand themselves from Scripture, and help them understand 
kind of what they're doing based on Scripture. Uh, you want to help them replace secular language with biblical language. Uh, so the world talks about dysfunctional families. The Bible will talk about family of sinners. The world will talk about low self-esteem, lack of self-confidence. The Bible talks about pride and arrogance. Uh, the world talks about unmet needs. Uh, the Bible talks about one who needs to serve. The world talks about workaholics and so forth. The Bible talks about one who is failing in God-given responsibilities. The world talks about addicted to gambling, drugs, alcohol, sex. The Bible talks about sinners who have ruling desires who are actually winning the day. I want to kind of help them see themselves in biblical categories. Are they a believer or an unbeliever? Are they mature or are they a teacher? Or are they immature? Are they unruly, faint-hearted, and weak? Are they loving? Are they selfish? Are they foolish? Are they wise? Those sort of things. What insights does the Bible give to the probable cause? When you first start meeting with them, you're going to kind of have a shotgun approach because you don't know them that well, but you're still going to teach them something and give them some homeworks, and so it's going to be kind of general. But you want to turn it from a shotgun approach to a rifle, and you want to hit that somewhere around session four or five. You know, there, there's a lot of threads here, and pulling some threads are going to be helpful in untangling the ball of yarn, more, more helpful than other threads. And we're just trying to find the one that would be the most helpful. We're not going to get done, we're not going to get all the threads, but we're going to try to help them get as much traction there as we can. So we're looking at journals that we've had them fill out, and, uh, thinking of the questions, all these things, trying then to look at it and assess and go, okay, what are the common denominators here? And we'll do more of this interpretation tonight when we talk about uh, the biblical understanding of the heart, and I think it'll make more sense there. But we're really just looking at all the data we've 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 gathered, and then trying to find out, you know, okay, what is the main problem as you see it, and then tailor your teaching and your homeworks towards that issue. So maybe you found out that um, they are struggling, you know, so for example, uh, we met with a gal who had a gun held to her head when she was 10. It wasn't a real gun, but she didn't know it at the time, right? But ever since then, when she'd hear a gunshot, she would have a panic attack. Or if a car went by and there was a, you know, and it had a, an exhaust problem and it kind of backfired, you know, she would, you know, huddle. Well, as we listened to her, what we saw as a common thread, as after we loved her and encouraged her with God who cares and compassion, we do that for four sessions or so. But, but the one thing that kept coming back was she wasn't trusting the Lord. She wasn't trusting his sovereignty. So she needed to learn to trust the Lord. She needed to understand the doctrine of God's sovereignty, that no purpose of the Lord's can be thwarted, things like that. Um, I like to analyze different root sins in their life and see what patterns that are revealed there. Maybe fear of man, people pleasing is producing much bad fruit. So that would be a good thread to, to pull out. Uh, Sally, her stated problem was she, she couldn't handle her husband's new schedule and had lost her identity. And really, she wanted us to change her husband. We really wanted her husband to come, but he wouldn't come. So she just wanted me to help get her husband you know, to come. So as we discussed her life and, and the journals that we had her fill out, it turned out that she wasn't trusting God with her life and wanted to control things. When her husband did things that were beyond her ability to control, she just couldn't handle it. So she put all of her energy into changing her circumstances rather than trusting in the Lord. When I told her what I thought the problem was, the main problem was, she said, that's exactly right. Most of the time when I lay out all the, all the stuff that we're talking about, why I'm saying what I'm saying, most of the time... Uh, as I explain it, that's what they'll say. You know, they'll agree. Sometimes they'll be like, no, I don't think that it is. And maybe I'm wrong, or maybe they're just not ready to hear it. If they're not ready to hear it, I'll put pause on it, circle back 
circle back, you know, maybe a few sessions down the road. Number five, instruction. I'm going to do this every session, but more from fourth session forward. Definition, teach them what the Bible has to say about the main problem that you've identified. Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Okay, you want to teach the word here accurately. Keep in mind 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. You need to know the word. If you don't know the word well, you can still minister to people. There's a lot of helps out there. Quick scripture, quick scripture reference books are very helpful. It'll just have a bunch of categories, depression, anxiety, marriage, sex, whatever it is, and it'll list a bunch of applicable verses. You can have that sitting on your desk. That's going to help you. Um, you want your counsel to be based on the Word of God. The authority is God. You want to expound Scripture like we talked about last night. Develop a, an instruction plan or agenda. Prepare outlines and handouts to give them. Use books, articles that teach and explain the Bible well. Be careful there. Don't overuse those books because you want them to see it from God's Word and you, you want them to learn to study God's Word themselves. But books can be helpful. Teach to the level of the counselee. Give homeworks to the level of the counselee. I'll have them read something in the session so that I get to hear their education level. If I give them something to read from Scripture and they're stumbling on, on every single word, then I'm not going to have them read um, R.C. Sproul or you know, Sinclair Ferguson. I'm going to have them read something a little, little simpler. Uh, you're finding things to help them put off, things to help them put on. Uh, you want them to renew their mind. You know, put off a self-oriented way of life, put on a God-oriented way of life. Put off fear of man, put on the fear of God. And so you're trying to identify what things need to put off, what things need, need to be put on. Uh, Sally, you know, we talked to her, to her about the Word of God, had her do a study on Job 38 through 42. You know, where, where uh, you know, you got to love Job. And this was real helpful for her because it stopped her in her tracks and she realized that, yeah, she was kind of complaining about her circumstances. But, you know, when Job, when the Lord finally starts talking to Job in verse 38, chapter 38, verse 2, God says, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I'll question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Right? So if someone is just complaining about their circumstances over and over and over, and you can't get them off of that, you know, have them read 38 to 42. How to memorize Job 42, too. No purpose of the Lord's can be thwarted. God gave you the husband that you have. He is the exact husband that he wanted you to have. It's not a surprise. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He trusts or he turns it wherever he will. The Lord can change your husband's heart to you, towards you like that if he wants to. The fact that he hasn't done it means that he has something going on. So let's get behind what he's doing, right? Those sort of things. Be careful as you're teaching not to be all, all over the place. Um, try to stick with one text you're teaching each session. Don't give 15 texts. Uh, inducement. I'm just going to read the definition here. This is number six. Motivate and encourage repentance if applicable. You're just soliciting a commitment to counseling and to obeying all of God's word. I need you committed. I need you to do the homework. Number seven is implementation. You're going to do that every session. Definition by using the means of grace, mainly prayer, fellowship, and Scripture, help the counselee become a doer of the Word through practical homework assignments designed to form new patterns of, biblical, of the biblical heart. James 1.22, but be doers of the Word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
Most of the time, I'm not teaching people something new, but that's going to depend on your context. I'm in an environment where everybody has a master's divinity degree, and they're smarter than me. I'm not teaching them something new, but they're not doing what they know. So I'm helping them do that. And it's not rocket science. Given concrete homework assignments, you know, the, the hour or two with me is not something magical. So I want to give them enough homework assignments that it's going to saturate their minds. Some people would disagree with me here, but it's worked for me. Some people say, you know, don't, don't, don't give them too much. Well, I want to give them as much as they can handle. If they're not doing it, I'm going to ask, you know, was it too much or whatever? But I want to, if I don't meet with them in, in two weeks, I want to give them enough that it's going to kind of have to, it's going to be on their radar the whole time. Trust God. I got to trust God. You know, the Job 3842, or, you know, that's why I'll have them memorize things. I'll have them listen to sermons that are all reiterating the same kind of truth point that I want them to learn. Number eight is integration. Uh, Definition there. You're going to do this generally, sessions eight through 12. Continue to meet, provide accountability until the regular church ministries are going to sustain positive biblical growth. Right, so they came to you, the regular ministries of the church weren't helping them, but now they've started to meet with you. They're studying the Word on their own. They're in the Bible regularly, hopefully daily. That's always my goal. They're attending church regularly. They're attending small group. They have other people that are meeting with them. I've had them fill out like an upset journal. We'll talk about that tonight. And they're journaling less and less and less. And then now they're starting to counsel me. And that gets aggravating. Once that starts happening, I'm like, okay, I think we're getting close to being done. So I'll space out meetings. Maybe we're meeting, you know, every two weeks. Now we're going to just meet once a month. They come back in. Hey, how things are going? We'll talk about a few things. Things are going right. You know, going well. We'll meet with them. But then another couple months doing that. And then I say, hey, I want you now to write your own homeworks for the next six months. What you're going to do daily. What you're going to do weekly. What you're going to do monthly. You know, what you're going to do quarterly. You know, the, the means of grace that I've encouraged them, the homework examples, reading certain books, memorizing scripture. Now it's their chance to give themselves their own homework assignments. But what I've been doing with them in holding them accountable to being in the word, memorizing scripture, listening to things, is what every believer needs to be doing on a regular basis. A lot of success in counseling is simply that, providing accountability to being in the Word. So that's the eight eyes. Um, if that's complicated for you, then you can just maybe take, Paul Tripp came up with love, know, speak, do. He just summarized what, you know, what we just talked about. The eight eyes can be put into those four categories. Love, involvement, and inspiration, giving hope, right? No. Is gaining, you know, uh, taking inventory and interpretation. Speak is instruction and inducement. Do is implementation and, in, and integration. Okay, that's it. Let me pray for us. I'll be up here if you have questions. Uh, Lord, help us to be wise in our counsel. Help us to know your word. Help us to think deeply about what your word says about what are the typical problems that people face. And Lord, help us to love people well for your glory, uh, our joy, and the good of your people. Thank you so much for involving us in this kingdom work. And Lord, help us to do it in a way that does exalt our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.